This is the story of Leakin Park. You don't normally hear of a place being a true crime story, but the stories behind the murders and the deaths that have occurred within this park are mind-boggling. There are so many, they would fill a novel. Welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. If you're a frequent listener, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back. I hope you can feel my love for your commitment. (laughs) If you're new here, welcome. If you do find yourself coming back time and time again to listen and enjoy what you hear, please hit that like button and subscribe if you haven't already. So let's get back to Leakin Park. While I won't be covering all of the known deaths within the park, I will be covering a few. Uh, At least one of them you may be very familiar with. Sadly, uh, many of the bodies found within the park itself have not had their cases solved. Some of the victims have been of spree killers, which is essentially a killer uh, who has committed a criminal act, you know, such as murder and involves two or more murders or homicides in a very short period of time, usually in multiple locations, or it's been unknown serial killers. And while this sounds a little strange, you know, for instance, how could a crime be referred to as a serial killer crime without a person being named as the killer? Uh, But we'll get to that and I'll explain what that means. The bottom line about this park is that the park itself is literally Jekyll and Hyde in physical form. But here's the thing. If you go to Wikipedia, you will read that Lincoln Park is over 1,200 acres of beautiful woodland that includes stream valleys, ridge tops, and meadows that allow the public to enjoy recreation and hiking trails. One of the hikes uh, will take you along the Old Fort Trail, which offers you a, quote, great view of the back of the Orianda Mansion. This all sounds ideal, doesn't it? Great place for a hike, a walk, or just to enjoy nature. That is, if you can get past the fact that you're enjoying your day amidst several rotting bodies. Because of this, the park has earned itself a few other nicknames. The locals call it the city's largest unregistered graveyard. The police call it Body Bag Park, and others call it Murder Park. Since 1946, over 70 bodies have been discovered in the park. And these are just the bodies that have been located. Leakin Park is so dense and it's that it's very likely that there are countless other bodies just strewn about that have never been discovered. Of the ones that are located, sometimes they're intact. Other times they have been dismembered and placed in garbage bags within various locations within the park. And it's not just bodies. Many use the park as a dumping ground for garbage, old tires, and even dead pets. Uh, Two of the bodies that have been located are that of Vashon Conyers, 
and Lemuel Wallace. And if by this point, something has been nagging at the back of your brain, wondering why you recognize the name of this park, you may be remembering the case of Heyman Lee, who was the subject of the very famous serial podcast. She too was found within Lincoln Park. Now, the park has become such a popular place for dumping that many of the roads that lead into the park have been closed off. You know, at least those that you can drive down. Various trails are still accessible, but the city, in an effort to curb some of this dumping, chose to make many roads inaccessible. But first, let's get to the cases. Uh, Let's talk about uh, one case uh, first, the case of Lemuel Wallace. Now, Lemuel is one of the men that was pictured on my post when I first announced this episode. His case is heartbreaking, and his killer, thankfully, was caught. You'll never believe who it was. On the morning of February 4th, 2009, someone claiming to be an employee with the ARC, the Ark of Baltimore, and this is a group that helps people with developmental disabilities lead a full life. Um, This gentleman showed up at a group home where Lemuel was staying and he went there to pick him up. Now, Lemuel was a legally blind and mentally disabled 37-year-old man. He had been receiving help from the ARC for about 10 years and he worked as a janitor. He often went on walks, he ran errands, he even visited family, which he contacted several times a day. Now, Lemuel wanted to move to a different facility, not because he didn't like where he was, but at his current location, most of the residents of the group home were quite a bit older than he was, and he wanted to move to a place where maybe there were some younger folks around his age. Now, just a few hours later, after this man picked up Lemuel, his lifeless body was discovered in a bathroom inside Leakin Park with multiple gunshot wounds to the head. Lemuel would never have been found if it were not for the fact that police, along with the FBI, were already there investigating yet another death. This led them to discover Lemuel's body and launch an investigation into his murder. Police were baffled. They didn't know what he would have been doing there in the first place or how he would have even gotten there. When police questioned people within the group home where Lemuel lived, they discovered that the man who picked him up knew that Lemuel was planning on moving to a different group home. And this man appeared to be close to Lemuel, as if Lemuel knew him. Authorities believed that this move was the ruse that this man needed in order to get Lemuel away from the home and into the park. Police investigated for nearly two months, and they had no leads. However, their investigation was jump-started when they received a routine phone call from Globe Life Insurance, which was the company that insured Lemuel's life. The insurance company was calling to make sure that the beneficiary listed on Lemuel's policy, his supposed brother, Kevin Puccia, was not a suspect in his death. Now, this raised eyebrows because Puccia, who was a Baltimore pastor, had not been on the police's radar at all. 
Puchia, who did in fact work with the ARC as an operations manager, had abruptly quit his job with them in January of 2009, just a month before Lemuel was murdered. And the police would later find out that Kevin Puchia, it was not Lemuel's brother. In fact, he wasn't related to Lemuel at all. The police then searched Puchia's newly built townhouse, where they found a note in his calendar that read, quote, L.W. Project Completed. They also found multiple insurance policies that he had applied for in Lemuel's name with a total value of $1.4 million. It quickly became clear that Puchia had not only orchestrated Lemuel's murder, but had also been planning it for quite some time. When questioned by the police, Puchia eventually confessed to befriending Lemuel and then paying a hitman $50,000 using church funds, no less, to kill him so that he could collect on his life insurance money. Kevin Puchia admitted that not only had he persuaded Lemuel, but, quote, numerous other mentally challenged individuals to list him, Kevin, as a beneficiary on their life insurance policies. Additionally, these other numerous other policies that he had taken out, he had taken them out on others within the same program, the same ARC program, on people that already had, quote, limited life expectancies based upon their health conditions. Now, Kevin, he was not alone in this evil plot. Uh, He told the police that another man, James Omar Clea, had arranged the meetings with the hitman who eventually killed Lemuel. Now, James Clea, who had a criminal past, claimed that he thought Kevin only wanted someone to intimidate Lemuel, not kill him. James was located in South Carolina, and at the time of his arrest, he was staying with two others at a hotel for a church conference. According to his social media, he was a licensed preacher and listed as an elder with the Sounds of Praise Pentecostal Fellowship Ministries on their website. But it was later revealed that he was on probation for participating in an armed robbery of a Wendy's restaurant where he had worked as a manager in 2007. Police, unfortunately, were never able to link anyone to the actual shooting of Lemuel, and the murder weapon was never found. However, the investigation of this Baltimore pastor, this Kevin Puccia, actually led to another surprising discovery. We know that Kevin was a pastor, right? But the East Baltimore church, where he said that he was a pastor, had burned down in January of 2007. The insurance company paid out on the church's policy, which then gave Kevin the funds to pay for the hitman on Lemuel. It was a shocking revelation that added just another layer of depravity, seriously, to an already disturbing case. In 2011, Kevin Puccia was sentenced to life in prison and an additional 45 years for insurance fraud. 
It was later learned that James Clea involved his brother, Kareem, in the plot as well. Now, I wasn't able to find much information about Kareem past his inf- past this information, but I can only assume that this is the quote-unquote hitman that James had hired for Kevin. And in September of 2011, after a trial, a jury came back in the case of Clea's, the Clea brothers as not guilty. They had both been charged with conspiracy. Another death that occurred within the park and is just one of many, many unsolved cases is that of Vashon Conyers. I stumbled across his name thanks to a documentary uh, about the park by Dan Bell, which you can watch on YouTube. I wanted to include Vashon because his case barely even made a newspaper article. Very little is known about how he actually died aside from blunt force trauma. And according to the Dan Bell documentary, Vashon, either before or after he died, was set on fire and then thrown into what appears to be a well inside Leakin Park. Now, this well is also included in the photos that I posted for this episode, but the well is actually part of the sewer system for the city of Baltimore. Now, the lack of information surrounding Vashon's case is not only frustrating, but also raises a lot of questions about how many other cases might be going unsolved this way. Uh, Vashon Conyers' case remains a mystery to this day, and I can only imagine how his family, along with the family of countless others who have never had their cases resolved, must feel to not know must be just truly a living hell. But the deaths discovered within Lincoln Park aren't just recent. One of the more disturbing cases that happened within Lincoln Park was that of four young boys. In 1968, a young boy named Lewis Hill was lured by Reginald Oates into Lincoln Park, where Oates then beat and raped him. Afterward, he slit the boy's throat and then violated his corpse before slicing off his head and his hands. Less than 24 hours later, Oates lured three more young boys into the park, eight-year-old Larry Jefferson, his five-year-old brother Mac, and 10-year-old Lester Watson. After beating and stabbing all three boys and violating their bodies as he did with Lewis, he then cut off their genitals and took them with him. The day after the murders happened, the police found the boys' bodies. Now, the same day, Oates tried to lure two young girls into the park and tried to attack them, but was unsuccessful. Police quickly caught Oates, and while he was being arrested, the police found bags and lunchboxes, which contained the murder weapons and the body parts of the murdered children. Oates was charged with four murders and rapes. He pled not guilty due to insanity, and after being examined by psychiatrists, they verified that he was unable to stand trial due to his mental condition. 
He was then sent to the Clifton T. Perkins State Hospital for compulsory treatment. And this means that the person is treated for their condition, their condition involuntarily. In 1982, the body of 26-year-old Joyce Ann DeShields was discovered in Lincoln Park by a group of children playing nearby. She was partly clothed and had been strangled. She was only identified using her fingerprints. Later, the police would state that Joyce had been the victim of a serial killer. However, no one had been caught. And this is the case that I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. Now, I don't know if anyone was on their radar, but as of today, her case, too, remains unsolved. But how did they know it was a serial killer if the perpetrator was never identified? Well, around the same time as Joyce's murder, several other women were found strangled in a similar manner within the same vicinity as Leakin Park. Investigators were able to determine that these murders were likely committed by the same person, thus labeling him a serial killer. But despite extensive investigations, the killer was never found and was never brought to justice. But the horror doesn't end there. In 1995, another body was discovered in Lincoln Park, this time dismembered and placed in plastic garbage bags. The man, who was eventually identified as Gregory Melvin Smith, had been cut into pieces and left for dead. Police were unable to locate any relatives of this victim, but they were able to identify him through his fingerprints. Greg was only 25 years old at the time of his murder. Ten years later, in 2005, Margot Baker, a 52-year-old mother, went missing. She had left behind an 18-year-old son who had reported her missing and then gave interviews with local news stations. He said that she was leaving with a friend and would be back, but he hadn't seen her since that day. Police had no suspects in her disappearance until an anonymous call came into the police and this person said that they heard someone talking about the missing woman. It turns out that the call and the person they were talking about was this woman's son. When detectives arrived at Margot's house to talk with her son, he became very combative and she was brought in and he was brought in for questioning. Excuse me. He eventually led them to his mom's body. She had been stabbed in the head in the neck and in the torso, and then she was disposed of down an embankment in Lincoln Park. But what in the world could drive a son to murder his own mother? Well, according to reports, the argument began over something as trivial as a scratched car rim. Margot had purchased new rims for her vehicle, and she had entrusted her son to drive it. When he scratched the rims, an argument ensued and escalated to the point where he felt the only way to resolve this issue was to stab his mom and then wrap her in a plastic sheet and dump her in the park. In June of 1994, a 30-year-old mom of four 
and someone who worked for the Social Security Administration for 11 years was found inside Lincoln Park. Her husband, Ernest, reported her missing over 12 hours later. When the police visited her home, her husband, Ernest, told them that he had last seen her around 9 o'clock the previous evening when she said that she was running to the store. Now, at this point in time, her body had already been discovered, but had not yet been identified. So while they were talking with Ernest, it was simply to follow up on his missing person's call. After she was identified, her friends and neighbors were totally in shock. The two lived in an upscale neighborhood and neighbors are quoted as saying, quote, she and Ernie have always been an ideal couple, just wonderful people. The neighborhood is just tore up over this. They have a very dedicated, very loving family. Bernadette always had her hat on right and she loved her children very much, unquote. By July, police had investigated enough to arrest Bernadette's husband, Ernest, of the crime. Bernadette had been strangled and dumped in Lincoln Park. Now, this case in particular just goes to show you that what you see on the outside or in today's age on social media is only what the family wishes you to see. You never know what's really going on behind closed doors and no one, regardless of their status in life, is immune from performing terrible acts. However, just like many others, Lincoln Park was hoped to be a secluded spot where Ernest was really hoping that his wife's body would never be found. And based on track record, right, of the park, he probably had a um, good possibility of getting away with this, but thankfully he didn't. In 1996, Charles Robinson, a 61-year-old man, left a local pinochle club where he had just played several rounds with his friends. His unoccupied car was found in Leakin Park, but he was nowhere to be found. The police towed the car to police headquarters and left it there overnight. The next morning, they popped the trunk and they found Charles Robinson inside. As far as I could tell, there had been no arrests in this case. I have no idea where this case went. In April of that same year, so in 1996, a man was found floating in Gwyn's Falls within Leakin Park. Now, it should be noted here that within the park, there are two bodies of water. One is called Gwyn's Falls and is located in the eastern portion of the park. And the other body of water, ironically, is called Dead Run, and it connects with Gwyn's Falls. So this gentleman's body was found decomposed and appeared to be that of a black man who had been dead for several days. No obvious signs of foul play were found, and so he was taken to the state medical examiner's office for an autopsy and identification. He was identified as Courtney Williams, and Courtney had been reported missing along with his girlfriend, Tamika Jefferson, earlier that year. A month later, we find out that a Baltimore police officer, Officer Johnson, had been charged with malfeasance, 
bribery, and filing a false public document in connection with the death of Courtney Williams. So here's how this kind of played out. This 22-year-old police officer, this Officer Johnson, he had been on the police force for just a year. And the charges that he received, this malfeasance, this bribery, and this filing a false public document, grew from Courtney Williams' case because it turns out that this police officer was suspected of being what's called an enforcer for a local drug dealer. And the officer, when he was caught, actually admitted to listening to a murder plot that he did nothing to stop or report. He actually said, quote, he did nothing to report this murder was going to take place did nothing to stop it, did nothing to report it after it took place. And the murder that he's referring to is that of Courtney Williams, the man who was found in the water. Now, furthermore, the same police officer falsified a police report to help out a drug dealer that he had known since he was a kid. He gave the case a fake number and assigned a fake officer's name to the report. And for doing this, he was paid $200. The officer actually got on police radar one day when he happened to walk into, and this is Officer Johnson, he happened to walk into a Northwest Baltimore apartment that the police were searching. Now, this apartment belonged to a man named Christopher Black, who happened to be Courtney Williams' brother, the man who died. Johnson, the officer, was actually in plain clothes, but he was carrying handcuffs and a gun. He was there. He arrived at this apartment with another man by the name of Archie Smith. And Archie happened to be a lieutenant for Courtney Williams' drug business. And remember, Courtney is the one that was found in the water. When Johnson, the officer, saw that, hey, the police are here at Courtney's brother's place... He tried to back away, but the sergeant that was searching the apartment asked him to stay and then learned that he was a police officer. Now, the officer that was there initially doing the search went back to the police department, to the office, and wrote a memo to the police department's internal investigations division and told them that based on his encounter with Johnson, he believed that this officer was some kind of enforcer for the drug dealer. Now, after Courtney Williams was reported missing, they found his vehicle abandoned near Lincoln Park. Now, the car was then sent to the police department for processing, and within this glove compartment of this car, police found a police report and a statement of charges indicating that Archie Smith, he's this guy that was with Officer Johnson when they went to this apartment, that Archie Smith had been arrested for drug possession. But Officer Johnson, what he did is he went in and changed or made up a number for the report and a fake officer's name for the report. And then Archie was the one who ended up paying the officer $200 so that it would actually look like Archie had been arrested with the drugs and the supplier would then think that the police then confiscated the drugs. I know it's crazy (laughs) and it's a lot to remember. The officer's fingerprints, however, were found on these fake documents. So 
I know I've kind of alluded to it, but let's really get into how does this relate to the body of Courtney Williams that was found within Gwen's Falls within Lincoln Park? Well, Officer Johnson heard Archie, the guy he was with, and Christopher Black, who was, remember, Courtney's brother. He heard them plan the murder. According to him, quote, Courtney was making $30,000 a week and they were tired of it. So I don't know if that means he was not making enough or making too much. I don't know. After the killing, the officer then told detectives that Archie had paged him and told him, hey, it was Christopher Black that had murdered uh that had murdered his brother. Officer Johnson never reported this to the police, even though A, he had overheard the murder plot, B, knew it was going to happen, and C, when it did happen, never said a word. Needless to say, he's no longer a police officer, and when he was brought before a judge, he entered an Alford plea. He didn't admit guilt, but acknowledged that he could be found guilty at trial. So he was sentenced to no more than four years in prison. No one was ever, as far as I could tell, formally charged in the death of Courtney Williams. And I could never find any information as to what happened to his girlfriend either. One of the saddest findings within the park was that of a newborn infant. The infant was found in 1991 in a plastic bag. Um, A man said that he had noticed a bag and bloody objects outside of the bag as he drove along the main road within the park. The bag was on the street near the curb and inside this bag was an infant girl wrapped in towels and then wrapped in two plastic bags. The infant still had her umbilical cord attached and she appeared to be full term. In 1993, the body of Linda Pearson, 31, and mom of two, was found within Leakin Park. She had been strangled by her husband, Don, who was 33, during an argument inside their home. He then drove her to Lincoln Park and dumped her there. In 2008, a man named Petro Taylor was discovered in Lincoln Park, burned beyond recognition. And this is a separate incident of a person being burned. This is not the same one that was found within the well. This is somebody totally different. A utility worker had made the discovery of this body, and it was later revealed that Petro had been stabbed more than 30 times before his body was then drenched in gasoline and set on fire. Shockingly, investigators found dry leaves stuffed down his throat, indicating that he was still alive during this horrific ordeal. Petro was believed to be associated with the Bounty Hunters gang. Now, allegedly, he was entrusted with depositing $90 into the prison commissary account of the gang's leader, but he may not have followed through with this job. So on December 28th, eight members of the Bounty Hunter gang met with Petro in a hotel room to discuss this missing money. The situation quickly escalated and it resulted in a brutal beating. 
the attackers then what they did was use the telephone wire to bind and gag Petro and they left the telephone attached to his body which had the hotel's room number and name on it. Afterwards, they transported him to Lincoln Park where they proceeded to stab him 30 times before drenching him in gasoline and lighting a match. This gang's seemingly clever act of leaving the hotel information on the victim's body ultimately played against them. It obviously allowed the police to identify who it was um, that had done this crime. And among the eight people arrested, six, six of them were teenagers and four of them were females. Now, last but not least, And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, one of the most well-known victims was Heyman Lee. The location where her body was found happened to be in a very secluded area of Leakin Park, and it was discovered by a man who had been walking his dog. She had been strangled, and the investigation into her murder became the subject of the massively popular podcast, Serial. And there you have it. Just some, just some of the stories of Leakin Park. The place has gained notoriety as a dumping ground for bodies, you know, regardless of the type of criminal activity involved in someone's death. It's essentially just developed a reputation for effectively hiding corpses, although, you know, it doesn't always succeed. As if the body count itself wasn't enough. The park is also known to be incredibly haunted. When you think about it, this really isn't such a stretch of the imagination when you consider that over the years, how many murders and how many suicides have taken place within the park. As I also mentioned earlier, to address the ongoing issues inside the park, the police have taken measures to restrict access by closing off many of the surrounding roads. Now, while this may not entirely eliminate the problem of dumping, um, it is a proactive step uh, towards trying to combat this criminal activity. Despite the park being open during the day for local residents, um, they strongly advise you not go visit the park after dark. Uh, One comment that I read even said that no sensible Baltimore native would venture near the park at night. To safely explore the park, it is best to leave stick to the designated trails and visit during daylight hours. So if you're planning a trip to Baltimore and decide, hey, let's go check out Lincoln Park one day, do it during the day, please. Thank you so much for listening. If you find yourself coming back often, and you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. It helps me know that you want to hear more content like this. In the next episode, I'll be covering the Vampire of Sacramento. So be sure you get notified as soon as that is available. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. You know, I appreciate you all, but I will never, ever stop saying that. Thank you. Until next time.